Scripture passage this morning is from John 14, starting in verse 8. I would ask you to stand and follow along in your copy of God's Word. I remind you that though the grass withers and the flower fades, the Word of our God will stand forever. John 14, beginning in verse 8. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Pete. It is a true joy and privilege to partner in the gospel with you here at Proclamation. Uh, Those words may sound familiar to some of you. Uh, Perhaps you've read them in a note that I've sent you. Or maybe you will, Lord willing, in the future. It's a a phrase that I often repeat, whether you've heard it from me or maybe you've heard it from the Apostle Paul himself. It comes from his uh, opening greeting to the church at Philippi, Philippians chapter 1. But what do they mean? We partner together in the gospel. It it means that we, believers in Jesus Christ, we're partners. We are co-workers, co-laborers. We're working together towards a common goal. The Lord has brought us together from all kinds of different backgrounds and united us together in Christ. We are working together towards a common goal with one another. United to Christ, united to one another, and it is a true joy and privilege, but it's not just us. We are also working together with the triune God. In verse 12, Jesus says, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. So we do these works. Verse 10, it's the Father who does his works. Verse 12 through 14, these are the works that Jesus does. And in the coming verses, we'll see that Jesus tells his disciples he's going to send the Helper, the Holy Spirit, to work in us. So if you believe in Jesus, you partner together with other believers, we with one another, and with the triune God, to work for the glory of God. It's an amazing thing. Last week we heard the comfort and the command of Jesus. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. If your hearts are troubled, you're encouraged to remember, to think about who Jesus is, what he has done, and what he most certainly will do. This gives us not only a hope for the future, but it also provides comfort and power and focus for the present, the here and now, our everyday trials and troubles. And it helps us put things in perspective. And this comfort from Jesus is further clarified by what he says in our passage today. Let not your hearts be troubled, beloved. You are on a mission. You're on a mission. You're working together 
with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and with the triune God. And everything that comes in your life will be used by God to further that mission, to make you more like Jesus, to glorify his name, and to bring more people into his family, to help others see and know and love Jesus. Here's the big idea of our passage this morning, and we're focusing in on verses 12 through 14. Here's the big idea. As a result of Jesus' redemptive work, Jesus now works in and through all who believe in him to bring glory to God the Father. As a result of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, he now works in and through all who believe in him to bring glory to God the Father. That's what's happening in your life today. Moment by moment, day by day. This is the purpose of your life and everything that happens in it. Now Jesus says some incredible things in this passage. Did you hear them? You are going to do greater works than he did. Really? What does that mean? Well, to help us understand what Jesus says, we'll ask these five questions this morning. Who does these works? What are the works? Why can they be done? How are they done? And then finally, what's the goal? What's the aim? Of doing these works. So, first, who does them? Verse 12, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. So, do you believe in Jesus? If you do, then you will do the works that Jesus did. Even greater works than these will you do. What Jesus says here, this promise, is for all believers. It's not only for the original disciples. It seems so incredible we're tempted to think that. Well, he must be talking about Peter, James, and John, and and the people he was talking to at that moment. Or maybe the apostles, maybe it includes Paul too. We read the scriptures, and they did some incredible things. It, It must be just for them, but that's not what Jesus says. What does he actually say? Whoever believes in me. So who will do these works? Whoever believes in Jesus. This is normal Christianity. It's an all-inclusive promise to all believers. An incredible promise. All-inclusive, that means if you're a Christian, if you believe in Jesus, it includes you. There's not a single Christian that's left out. Not a single one. It's not only for famous Christians. It's not only for the martyrs or the missionaries or pastors. It's not only for those who've been Christians for a very long time. It's it's not only for the really spiritual, mature, godly Christians. Jesus says, whoever, whoever believes in me. So if you believe today, Jesus means you. Plain and simple. You will do these works, greater works than Jesus. You, the members of this church, will do the works from the youngest to the oldest. Girls and boys, women and men will do these works. So, Michaela Groff, Caleb Miller, Jean Merritt, Ned Evans, and every member in between will do these works. You don't have to wait to be a certain age. And you don't get to retire from doing these works. 
You were made for this. You were called to this, beloved. Who does these works? Whoever believes in Jesus. Beloved, if you believe in Jesus, you can do miracles. Now that I've said that, you have to listen very carefully. The rest of the message to understand what I'm saying. To make sure Pastor Troy hasn't fallen off the rocker, as they may say. Whoever believes in Jesus will do the works that Jesus does, and greater works than these will he do. But what are these greater works? At first, this should sound impossible. Crazy, right? Jesus turned water into wine. He fed over 5,000 people with one little boy's snack. He healed a man born blind. He raised Lazarus from the dead. These are amazing. These are truly miraculous works. I can't do anything like that. There are still many days where I need a sippy cup to not spill my water as I drink. Tonight we're having ice cream after our evening service. But if all of you come, a lot of you will be disappointed We won't have enough ice cream, and I can't multiply it. I'm pretty good at making it disappear by myself, but I cannot multiply it. So what's Jesus talking about? The works that Jesus says we will do are not miraculous in the same way as the works that he did on earth, but they have the same aim, and they bring about the same miraculous result. The works Jesus did. The miraculous signs he did that we've seen in John's gospel, what did they do? They proclaimed the truth of who he is, and they led people to believe in Jesus. The works that Jesus says we will do are deeds we do that point people to Jesus and help them believe in him. And it is these works that are a witness They're a witness along with the words of Jesus that lead people. This is what happens. It actually leads people to the saving faith in Christ that they may have eternal life in his name. And that truly is amazing. It's wonderful. This is the work that Jesus says we, you, will do. It's truly the greatest miracle of all. The greatest miracle of all is salvation. The work God's done in your life. God making you alive when you were dead. People who were dead in sin, being made alive in Christ. People who were God's enemies, now becoming his friends. Is that even greater than raising Lazarus from the dead? Yes, it is. Lazarus, sadly, died again. When people believe in Jesus, they are raised to life spiritually, never to die again, given eternal life. Look at what Jesus says in verse 11. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Believe on account of the works themselves. Jesus is talking about the works he does, the miraculous signs in John's gospel. And here, he reveals their very purpose, the goal. It's to lead people to faith in Jesus. Jesus was not a magician. A circus performer. He wasn't putting on a show so he could wow the crowd. He also wasn't only doing good out of love and compassion to meet people's physical needs. He did that, yes, out of love and compassion. But he was doing more. He did these works. And John writes them down for us. Why? To lead people to believe in Jesus. 
so they would no longer be condemned to eternal death, but they would be raised to eternal life. So when Jesus says in this context, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. These are the works he's talking about. Deeds that help people see the truth of who Jesus is and lead them to believe in him. And so, beloved, you do these works. Or perhaps more accurately and clarified in this passage, repeated twice in verses 12 through 14, Jesus himself will do these works through you. Jesus himself today does these works through you. When you believe in Jesus, he will work in you and your works like his will lead people to faith in Jesus. And these works certainly include evangelism. When we tell others about Jesus. This past Friday morning, Jeff Gingrich led our men's prayer meeting. And he gave glory to God as he shared how a young man, a young fellow student named John Anderson, shared the gospel with him during his freshman year of college. Jeff was not a believer at the time. He did not go to church. He had not heard the gospel. And a fellow student, a young man, came to him, knocked on his dorm room. This young student, one who believed in Jesus, came and proclaimed the gospel. And that, beloved, was this greater work John Anderson worked, and God worked, and Jesus worked, and the Holy Spirit worked, and it led our brother Jeff to believe in Jesus. And it's one of the reasons why today we are blessed to know Jeff, and he's here, gathered to worship the one true God and to partner in the gospel with us, even today, some 47 years later. Is that not a miraculous work that God did in his life? And there's a ripple effect going on still today. Right? Because Jeff and Ellen have continued this work all their lives together. And their children are now continuing this work. We're blessed to have Colin here as one of their children, about to be ordained to the ministry. As God gives him a call, we we pray for in the coming days. And he and his wife, Becky, continue this work. And their daughter, Lauren, and we were blessed to have Seth here now ordained as a chaplain in the PCA. And they are continuing this work in Texas. And their other son, Cameron, and his wife, Katie, living right here in the E-Town area, continuing this work as faithful followers of Christ. The ripple effect that has come for generations now that are changed. And yes, it started because God chose them before the foundation of the world. But it also started because a young man filled with the Holy Spirit, had the courage and the boldness to go knock on the door and speak the words of the gospel. And God worked and Jesus worked and the Holy Spirit worked through John Anderson to lead our brother to believe in Jesus. What a miracle of grace that God does today all over the world that he does through us. It's a greater work. This work, these greater works, they include evangelism. But they're not limited to evangelism. This work includes deeds of mercy and compassion. The entire ministry of the church all over the world, they include the ordinary things that we do, that we who believe in Jesus, that ordinary people do every day with gospel intentionality. We're ordinary people filled with the power of an extraordinary God. We do ordinary things every day, but we do them 
with an entirely new purpose, with a gospel intentionality, because our eyes have been opened to the glory of Jesus Christ, so now everything we do has an aim, to glorify our Savior, to help others see who he is, and to come to believe in him. And beloved, if we are not doing these works with love and intentionality, there's a sense you could say we're not doing our job. If we're not doing these works with love and intentionality, we're not doing what Jesus empowers and calls us to do as his followers. Earlier in John 13, Jesus said, By this all people will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So a life of Christ-like love will draw attention to the truth of who Jesus is and the reality of our new life in him. So when we love others as Jesus has loved us, it's an opportunity for these works to be done. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Christians are defined by these works or a life which flow from faith in Jesus and point to the glory of Jesus. This is what it means. Let your light shine. Let the Spirit shine through you as you love and serve others, as you proclaim the gospel. The works you do, the miracles you can do, beloved. It's not healing someone born blind or raising someone from the dead, but it is your faithful life of loving, truthful words and deeds that Almighty God can use to help other people believe in Jesus, see him for who he is, and trust in him. These are the works, but why can they be done? Why can they be done? Look again at verse 12. Jesus says, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because... I am going to the Father because I am going to the Father. When Jesus said this, he was going to the Father, and this included all he would do to accomplish our salvation. So he would go to the cross to die for our sins as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He would go to the grave to rise again. He would ascend into heaven going to the Father to be seated at his right hand, and he would send his Spirit to live in us. If Jesus did not do this, if he did not go to the Father, not only could you not do the works he does, but no one, not one of us, could be saved. If Jesus had not done this, the only way that you can be forgiven of your sin, and friend, we are all sinners. Our lives are filled with guilt and shame. And we have to do something about that. What do you do with your guilt and shame? The only one who can take away and remove and pay for your guilt and shame is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of sinners. It's through Christ that our sins can be forgiven. The only way to become a child of God is to believe in Jesus, to trust in what he did when he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. Our Savior Jesus has gone to the Father. And because he has gone to to the Father, he has accomplished the work of salvation that God sent him to do. And so, because that's true, you can indeed be saved and you can do the works that he did. The works that he does. 
The Apostle Paul wants you to know this almighty power. He wants us to know this almighty power of God that is for you because Jesus has gone to the Father. In Ephesians chapter 1, he prays that we will know, listen to his words, that we will know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's what Paul prays for us, this power that has come to us. But that had not been done. That, that wonderful truth, those works that had been done, that had not yet been done when Jesus said these words in John 14. But now, you and I, we are on the other side of that work. We're on the other side of salvation history. Before this, all God's people looked forward. They looked ahead to the fulfillment of God's promise. That was not yet fulfilled. But now we look back to a promise fulfilled, a work accomplished, a deed finished. One pastor summarizes it this way. What's new and greater, what's new and greater is that never before in the history of the world had anyone ever been forgiven by faith in the already crucified, the already risen, the already reigning, the already indwelling Christ. All salvation up to that time had been by anticipation, by promise of the coming Redeemer. But now, now that Jesus has gone to the Father, now that he has been crucified, buried, raised, exalted, and sent in the person of the Holy Spirit, the great purchase of forgiveness by substitution was finished once and for all. And so, beloved, the Spirit in you right now The spirit in whoever believes in Jesus is the spirit of the one who has gone to the Father. It's the spirit of the crucified, risen, ascended, exalted Christ. This is the spirit we have. And so the good news that we proclaim is not of a promised ransom, but a paid ransom, a complete payment, a finished work. Beloved, because... Because Jesus has gone to the Father, we are now on the other side of the cross and the empty tomb and Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So the doors of salvation have been blown wide open for Jews and Gentiles, for the multitudes from every tribe and tongue and nation and language. God is bringing them in through you, through his people today. And he does these greater works through his people through whoever believes in Jesus. That's how it's done today. This is how more people are brought into God's kingdom as God works through those who already believe through you. Do you rejoice in this? Do you seek this? Do you know this is why you're here? God is doing a work through you that's not yet finished. The advancement the spread of the kingdom of God from our communities to the continents, from our neighborhoods to the nations. And today, 
God is bringing the nations to us, to our neighborhoods. So many refugees and immigrants in need. What a wonderful opportunity it is for us to reach the nations. Yes, we can still go, and we ought to, but God's bringing them to us. Beloved, because Jesus has gone to the Father, we can do this great work. And think about what we do, who we are. We are heralds of this good news. We announce what is true, what has happened. We simply tell, proclaim the triumph of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are not selling a product that people may or may not need or want. That's not what evangelism is. We simply tell the true story of history. There's a lot of talk these days about history. And do we really know the true history? And people taking pains to try to make sure people understand what happened in history. Well, this is what happened in history. It's the most important event ever in all of history. And we know it. And we must tell it. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Amen. Amen. Beloved, that's true. It's true. The question for us today is, do we believe it? And do we base our lives upon it? Does that truth shape everything about us? Everything that we think and say and do? It will as the power, the spirit of the risen, ascended, reigning Christ lives in us and empowers us by his indwelling presence, the presence of the living Christ, that will lead us to be shaped by these truths. And also as we pray to the Father. That leads us to our next question. How? How are these works done? There are many ways these works can be done, but in this passage as Jesus speaks he gives us one very specific way let's read verses 12 to 13 again I want you to hear the context Jesus says truly truly I say to you whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the father now with that context in mind hear what Jesus says in verse 13 whatever you ask in my name this will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus is not telling us here that if we want something, whatever we want, all we have to do is pray for it in Jesus' name and he'll give it to us. God, give me a pony. In Jesus' name, amen. God, give me the winning lottery ticket. In Jesus' name, amen. God, don't let there be any police cars on this road as I speed down the highway. In Jesus' name, amen. Or even more things, practical needs. God, give us the house we want. In Jesus' name, amen. Or God, heal my loved one who is sick. In Jesus' name, amen. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's going to get into more teaching about prayer in chapters 15 and 16, so we'll come back to this. But here we see the context. Jesus has just told us that we will do the works he does, and even greater works, and here he tells us how. He himself will do the works when we pray. Jesus will work in response to our prayers in his name. 
But people hear verse 13, and they hear these words, whatever and anything, and those words jump out at them, either as, okay, I can bring my wish list to God and get anything I want, the divine Santa Claus. Or they hear them as a reason to doubt God. I asked, and he did not give, so this must not be true. But if we think that, we miss the context. We miss the point, the qualifiers, the whatever, the anything, they're related to the works that Jesus does and will do through us. Twice in verse 13, Jesus tells us, he will do the work. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And also, two times, Jesus says, if we ask in his name. Whatever you ask in my name. If you ask anything in my name. So praying in Jesus' name means that we ask for things that are consistent with the character and the will of Jesus. We ask for what Jesus delights in and desires. And so when Jesus says, the works that I do, you will do. And he says, whatever you ask in my name, I will do. He's encouraging us as we face what what seems to us like a daunting task. Jesus, how in the world can I do what you did? How in the world can I be used by you to change someone's life, their eternal destiny? I, I have no power within myself to do that. Our natural response is, I can't do that. But Jesus knows our weakness. He knows our unbelief, and so he gently helps us. He encourages us here, and he promises his help. You will do these works. It's as if Jesus says, I know that sounds too hard. That sounds too wonderful. That sounds too amazing. So I will do it. I will help you. Just ask me, and I'll do it through you. Keep my purpose at the forefront of your mind. My name, what I've done for you in going to the Father. And ask me, and I'll do it through you. When you pray in my name, when you acknowledge your need and my supply, your weakness and my strength, I'll give you everything you need to do the works I do, and even greater works. These works that point people to Jesus and lead them to believe in him. Beloved, the way to see this work done in your life is to pray. You can ask for anything in Jesus' name for this work, this mission, and Jesus will do it for the glory of the Father. And that leads us to our final question. What's the goal? What's the aim of doing these works. Verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. James Boyce was the beloved pastor at 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia for many years. He's now with the Lord. He has a commentary on this passage, and in that commentary he shares this story, a true story, of a young seminary student who suffered from poor eyesight. He says what, what, what you and I can see from maybe 100 feet away, this young man could only see from about 10 feet away. So it was very limiting, limiting for him. And, and naturally, he prayed about this often, as any of us would. We'd ask the Lord to heal us, but his problem didn't go away. His vision did not get better, and he didn't understand why. God, you have the power to heal me. Why won't you do it? Why am I not getting any better? I trust you. I believe in you. And then one day, the Holy Spirit ministered to his soul as he considered 
the glory of God? As he considered that first catechism question, what's the chief end of man? And he thought, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The reason I'm here is to glorify God. And it's almost as if he heard the Holy Spirit asking him, do you want to glorify God? And he answered, of course, of course. Well, if you had the choice, what would you rather do, glorify God or have perfect vision? And that thought slowed him down a little bit. All of a sudden, the, the of course answer he gave wasn't quite as bold. It began to weaken a, a little bit. He really wanted to see. But he knew, he knew that God's glory must come before that desire. The Holy Spirit continued to probe him. Do you really believe that God's glory is more important than your vision? The young man was humbled and he affirmed, my vision or lack of it is not worthy to be compared with the glory of God. And so one last time, the Holy Spirit was probing him, do you really want to glorify God? Yes, I do. And it's as if he thought the Holy Spirit was asking him, well, if you do, then why worry about the method that God chooses for you to glorify him? Whether it is through perfect vision or limited vision. God is at work in your life to bring glory to his name. Now, our brother David Crow is living that out today. Some of you know that he recently lost vision in one of his eyes, nearly total loss in that one eye, and his response has been one of faith, such an encouraging response of trust in the Lord, a great encouragement and example to us. He has shared with us when this happened, the Holy Spirit was working in his life, making him ask a question like, well, all these years I've lived, have I used my vision for the glory of God? And his humble response was, no, I have not always done that. And our brother David now has a renewed zeal to honor and glorify God in all of his life with his vision and everything else for as many days as the Lord gives him. What an encouragement that is. But that doesn't come from his strength. It comes from the spirit of the living God working in him and doing these works that Jesus did and even greater works. Beloved, your life and everything about it, absolutely everything about it, is for the glory of God. Your prayers are not about you getting your requests fulfilled in the way that you see fit, according to your timetable, your ways, they're about the Father being glorified in the Son. Jesus said, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do, the works that point people to Jesus and lead them to believe in him. And so all who believe in Jesus, every one of us today who trusts in Jesus, we are partners together in this work, with one another and with the triune God. Our entire lives are to be a display of the trustworthiness, the goodness, the glory of Jesus. So let's encourage one another toward that end. It's one of the reasons we're gathered together here today. Let us encourage one another. Let us consider how we can spur one another on to love and to these good works. Why? So more and more people will know and love Jesus that he will receive the worship that is due his name, and that in all things, God, our loving, gracious, generous Father, 
will be glorified in the Son. Amen.